Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Monday's interview with Bill Blair, who is the leader of an organization called Rocks to Rivers that focuses on experiential learning and helping people to live a life of adventure. Joining me back in the studio are my friends and fellow leaders, Daniel Schwartz, Parker Batista, and Sarah Bredingen. What did y'all think about the interview on Monday? I liked it. You could definitely tell he's passionate about the outdoors and that he really has a way of meeting people with where they're at, walking with them. He talked a lot about just walking with people and helping them with where they're at and their problems. Daniel, how about you? Yeah, the word that really comes to mind when I listened to that interview was accessible. I loved how practical his advice was and how easy it was to apply to everyday life. Parker? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I like the differentiation he had between knowledge and experience, Um, just how one sticks and one is just more information that we end up don't using at the end of the day. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting theme throughout the entire interview. And it's worth thinking about, first of all, as a leader, are you leading in a way that incorporates action and experience into the group experience, into the leadership process? And kind of as a follow-up, have you been a part of groups like that in the past who have done it really well that maybe you can model your own leadership after? Any thoughts there? Yeah, I think right now it's like I can think of several areas in my life where it's both. The most fulfilling and the most effective are usually ones where it's it's more of a facilitating role, getting people to a point where they can kind of see over the cliff and then letting them make a choice of what direction they want to go versus other teams that I've probably facilitated and also been on to where you felt like you were just blindly following a leader and they didn't have much of an impact. Why do you think that is? I think there's no buy-in. I think if there's no choice, there's no buy-in. Daniel, Sarah, either of you, have you ever had experience with with groups that have done a good job of incorporating that experiential element into the learning process? Well, it might be a little cliche, but I did spend a lot of summers working a camp environment. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, right from the get-go, that's that's an action-oriented environment. I am not a very action-oriented person physically. Uh, just growing up, I was never that kid, you know. Yeah. I was never uh, the super athletic one on the block. Sure. Um, I was always kind of just in the middle somewhere. And so putting myself out there was always a little a little interesting. And then this last summer, I was actually a head counselor at a camp in Alabama. Okay. And I was in charge of leading the college staff for the entire camp. Now, in that, we had to do several challenge course type activities. Uh, you know, there's scaling a wall, using each other to, to propel yourself over a, a 10-foot wall, um, zip lining, all these things that I'm, I'm not the most comfortable with. But again, I'm the leader. Yeah, you, have, I, to, you have to be okay exactly. with it. Exactly, you have degree, to be okay right? with it. Right, yeah. exactly. And so talk about saying I don't know is letting people that I'm supposed to be leading actually show me what they think their ideas are. And most of the time, they were way better than anything I had. I, I remember standing at the bottom of this wall thinking, 
there there's no way I'm getting over this thing. Like I am not strong enough to just grab onto this thing and throw myself over like some people are. And then two guys actually come up to me and just kind of tap me on the shoulder. They're like, Hey, don't worry about this. You yeah. Know, we got you. And then they pick me up to kind of save face as a leader. They pick me up, throw me over this wall. And so that was just a, a phenomenal moment. I mean, I was so close to those guys. That was the, the very first week of the summer. I was close to them for the rest of the time. Yeah. And there's a lot to that. As a leader, if you're humble enough, there's a whole lot that you can learn from people who are quote unquote below you. The truth is none of us know everything. And if you become too prideful as a leader, there's a lot of, of potential learning that you as a leader may miss out on entirely. Sarah, any thoughts? I, uh, I'm actually struggling to come up with a, an example of being in that kind of group. Um, I really, this is kind of crazy. I feel like the best example I can come up with is from high school and just, uh, being on a Spanish trip and being immersed in like all these different activities and they're all group activities. Do you think it reflects poorly on leaders in general that we have such a hard time thinking of good examples? Because, you know, we talk back to like, uh, to summer camps, high school. Is this something that should be incorporated in our professional lives and our, in our daily lives as leaders? Oh, absolutely. So think about where you are right now as a leader. Are there ways that you could begin incorporating action and more engaging experiences into those areas where you're already leading? It's easy to look at other people and see what they're not doing and look in your past and say, well, other people should have been doing this. But then our question is, well, maybe so, maybe not. But if we think it's important, how can we be doing it now in the areas where we are currently leading? Mm -hmm. I think you have to define what leadership is, first of all, and and determine your target. Because I think I used to put pressure on myself when I was leading that I had to know all the answers. And that's obviously not correct. And then I think you've got to determine, okay, how do I facilitate this group and what questions can I ask to get buy-in and see what the group uh, input is and then let them experience it in their own way, in their own timing. So it's worth defining leadership. One thing that I've seen is oftentimes a leader is the person that people look to. When there's a pause, when there's uncertainty, the leader is the person that people look to. Mm -hmm. So are there any groups where people are looking to you because maybe you know something, because maybe you have some position, whatever else? And if you're, if you're that leader in that group, how can you be incorporating activity action into that thing? Well, I'm going to start very micro here, very small scale. I work in a typical office environment and I might be one of the newer guys on the block, but I am, I do have more of a a tech background uh, than anybody there. So a lot of times even, you know, the bosses will look to me kind of to help them through their problems. And what's helped me the most is just something so simple as, having them walk through the steps and having them understand why we're doing each thing that we're doing and having them think through, okay, this is leading to this. Um, this click here leads to another click there. And that's what, that's where things are going. And I, I th- think they tend to remember that way, way more than if I just fix their problem. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to some of what Bill was talking about, which is, you know, a coach is someone who maybe is involved in the process, but they're sitting on the sidelines and kind of giving you some direction. Whereas a guide is someone that is actually involved in the process and goes along with you. Exactly. Yeah. I think it involves like leading the charge, taking ownership and responsibility if things do go south. And then once your team gets to the point where there is a challenge, like Daniel was saying, letting them experiencing and let them go through it and being willing and able and confident enough to take a step back. I'm kind of fortunate because one of the the key areas that I lead in at the moment is inherently very action-based. 
I'm a, I'm a worship leader. And so when we get together as a team, what we're doing is we're playing music together. And so it's, 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 it's inherently action-based. So I, I feel like I'm kind of cheating in this. It is nice to have those, those leadership positions where that's naturally happening, but it's also worth thinking about where are some areas that I'm leading where we can maybe incorporate more action, more input from our followers. So how do we get to the point where we enjoy the uncertainty and the unknown and then be able to thrive in that? Because Bill kind of talked about where growth happens. And I think that's in challenge in the unknown uh, when things are not comfortable because everybody can usually function pretty well when things are average and comfortable. Sure, yeah. So how do we get to the point where things are chaotic or unknown or stressful and be able to function at a level to say, all right, what's next and now what can I do and be able to really enjoy that process? It is fun sometimes to not know what you're doing and just go for it. And how do we bridge that gap? I mean, I think it just has to start by constantly pushing yourself and doing something new. That's one thing that I always do is I'm always saying yes to new experiences, even if they're outside of my comfort zone, because that's where growth comes from is outside of that comfort zone. So you just have to keep pushing yourself and saying yes to new opportunities. Every time you accomplish an obstacle, you can use that past experience of, okay, I could do that. I can probably do this next thing, whatever it is. I, I think a lot of that is just developing a culture where that is something that is okay. This doesn't just go to the issue of uncertainty, but we have different positions, different places in life, different roles. And sometimes we're okay with uncertainty in some areas and sometimes we're not okay in others. So like I can think to my job, I would rather there be more certainty. But when it comes to, for instance, when I'm traveling, I'm okay with not having too much of a clue. And part of that is maybe because a lot of the traveling that I've done in the past, there have been a lot of unknowns. And so you just kind of get used to that and it kind of adds to the excitement but I, I think you can create a culture in, in any setting where unknowns are okay. And part of that is just it's being okay to mess up and for things to not pan out as expected. I think a good start, too, is uh, admitting how little we actually know in the present. Uh, looking back on my life, I can say I, I had no idea that things were going to go the way that they did in many different situations. And so it makes me look at my, my present circumstances and realize they're not quite as certain as I think they are. And a friend shared with me just the other day, actually, uh, three things basically that anyone can do in business, especially, that will really lead to success. And th those three things are over-communicate, under-promise, and over-produce. Hmm. And I really latched on to the under-promising <laughs> because <laughs> I, I tend to ballpark everything uh, not in my favor you know when someone says well how long do you think this project will take i i always cut myself short i i'm always like yeah that, no problem whatsoever i don't leave myself any sure, room yeah but it's so much better to leave yourself that that openness um, to uncertainty to under promise just to, just to admit that hey you know we're not quite as certain as we'd like to think we are and being comfortable with that like you said so bill physically walks with people on those journeys and those people are seeking out his service. They want to be challenged by him and they want to grow in that experience. Yeah. So my question is, how can we motivate people in our daily life to seek out those challenges and find self-awareness and growth? Would you say that this is a question for those under our leadership or just maybe people that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis? Because that, that kind of affects the answer a little bit. Well, I really want to know just anyone in our daily life. I don't... 
I don't know that I see myself as a leader to like one group of people. I just try to have qualities of a leader yeah. and then to inspire others to maybe have those qualities or walk with that grace. And so I want to know how to continue to motivate people and like maybe inspire people to become self-aware, to keep on growing, to push their own boundaries. Like yeah. how, how do how do we motivate people to do that? Yeah, this viewing really life is an opportunity to guide people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good question. I feel like it's a big. I don't know, I, like a big one. Absolutely, like, no. Is absolutely. there is there an answer to it? Well, there are probably a few possibilities, and there may be one definite answer. And I'm hoping that Parker can give that to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what I would say is one thing is whenever you see it modeled, you realize it's a possibility. Yeah. I can say that I have been encouraged to learn more and to grow more as I've kind of been exposed to the possibilities of new types of things. And I would like to think that as I share with people my own knowledge, it kind of encourages others to learn more as well. That's one of those things that is hard to really quantify. You can't necessarily add up how many friends did I convince to uh, start reading this book that I recommend. Uh, You could follow up, but like then you become the annoying friend. (laughs) It's hard to really say, but I, I think that uh, as you model it for other people, they realize that there's a possibility out there for for doing more than just what they see. Because oftentimes, what people see is just you know whatever's on social media, whatever's on the TV show. And if they're not seeing someone in the real world doing something that's interesting and fresh and exciting and gives new possibilities to life, they may never know that that opportunity is there. Yeah, I think you've got to live it, man. I think you've got to live it. And everybody wants to be the hero or the adventurer or the the risk taker. But it comes down to the moment and everybody just kind of stands around and looks at each other. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got to be able to model that and say, hey, try this. Like, it's worked for me. Just try it. Just take one step out of your comfort zone and then take one more. Because you can't really, like, push people up that mountain. you got to pull them. you got to be ahead of them on that process. So what do you think about Bill's idea? This kind of is connected still to your question, Sarah. Is there a way to somehow encourage growth in someone's life by making them the hero. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think you can instill confidence, yeah. um, but I don't think you make them the hero. I think you give them opportunity to be the hero because at the end of the day, if they can't fail and there's not just as much of an opportunity to fail, then they're not really the hero. Yeah. I think we don't have many people today that are comfortable leading from the number two chair hmm. uh, that, that are really, it's kind of all or nothing when, when people think of leadership, either I'm the top guy or, or I'm not going for it, but to really, walk alongside somebody and help them realize their own vision either for their life or for a specific season i think is is incredibly beautiful and it's something that we need to learn how to do and i think we do that by modeling it like we were saying earlier and how we were talking about uh, having it seen by others i think one great thing we can all implement right now is whatever we want to be in life start acting that way now you know a lot of times we have goals we have things like oh i would love to be a teacher i'd love to be a professor what can you do to teach now what can you do to be a leader right, right now? How can you think like one? How can you, if you were in that position, how would, how would your thoughts be, be modeled? And start doing that now in, in very small ways, diving deep with people. A lot of times we stay super, super shallow in conversations. It seems like we can kind of float in small talk indefinitely. Yeah. A lot of times uh, someone was telling me about the, uh, the three question rule. You know, whenever you're talking with somebody and you're kind of stuck in that small talk, take three questions deeper. You know, start, hey, how's it going? And then, and then dive into 
So what's really been going on? And then latch on to something with that third question, some event in their life. I think that's a, a great way in conversation that we can really show people that we care for them and get them to open up about what they're thinking so that they can realize that on their own, we can be that guide. Absolutely. And then also kind of going back to the thing you were saying about, you, you say you're interested in something. How are you actually incorporating that into your life now? I actually heard a really insightful question that potential missionaries were asked. You know, there'd be these people that wanted to be missionaries. They'd go to this gathering and kind of interview, see if they're a good fit. And one of the people interviewing them would say, you want to go serve people in another country. How are you serving people here? And so you really have to ask, what is it about that position, whether it's leadership or anything else, what is it about that that's attractive to you? Is it because there's some sense of, of power or some prestige that is, is connected to that, some sense of excitement that you aren't getting here, or is it really because you care about helping others succeed in what they're doing? And I love that, too, about, say, you want to be a professor. Well, how are you teaching now and you definitely do have to get out there and do those smaller roles because all of that is going to build up into that bigger experience that you're trying to achieve. So if you're not always working towards that one goal by doing the smaller jobs, then are you really going to be good at that big job if you haven't done the smaller tasks? I've really found that every big moment in life is made up of lots of smaller things that have already happened. So when you get to that crossroads in life, when you get to that point where time for the big decision to be made, normally it's it's already been made by the small decisions, the small habits you've been forming all along the way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally finding that in my life that like all these smaller moments I now am to a point where I can say in my life, like, okay, I'm exactly where I need to be. Like, I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing. All right. So what do we do? It sounds great to let them experience that, but some people just don't want to experience it. They don't want to be uncomfortable and you can't ditch them or something because it's a a work team or, you know, uh, a family situation or a friend situation. So how can you let them experience that when they want you to be the cushion in between the risk and them and you want them to experience it. So there's kind of like a push and pull there. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of it goes back to what you said earlier, which is you have to give them the opportunity, but you can't actually force them to do that. So I I think you give people every opportunity you can and come alongside of them, uh, maybe model with your own life, uh, encourage them in certain ways. But I don't think you really can force someone to do something Mm -hmm. that they're not prepared to do or not interested in doing. It goes back to that question, what Sarah asked, how can you encourage these people in your life to maybe view it differently, to to grow, to be open to new things? You can do certain things. You can encourage people by what you're doing, but at the end of the day, I don't think you can. No, I don't think you can. You can't force people into it with good results. But I think you can definitely just lead by example and just see if they follow. Yeah. It's so interesting because there's the saying that like people don't change or can't change. But I definitely think they can. It's just a matter of getting them into the experience that is going to change their life. And like, what is that experience for them? Is it something active like what Bill does? Or is it just watching other people the truth is there are a lot of things in our lives that we don't care about until we see them experience them hear them you know so many great causes out there in the world for instance that um could use people's financial support but unless unless you really go and experience that need or someone else comes and shares with you about that need you don't even know it exists or even if you do you know you see a, a billboard somewhere it doesn't do anything for you but whenever you it becomes a part of your life 
all of a sudden it becomes a whole lot more meaningful. So you need to find ways to engage people's lives for sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, once again, it's kind of goes back to, are they open to it? They definitely can change, but are they willing to, are they willing to put in the, their own effort to make that happen? You know, one more, one more thing going off of how do you, how do you lead people? How do you inspire people that don't really want to experience that are not open to it? When I was in college and I was involved somewhat with student government and I had a position that was wildly unpopular called Christian development coordinator at a Christian Baptist college in Mississippi chapel, you know, going to a mandatory chapel services is, is not the most popular thing in the world. In fact, most people hate <laughs> it. And so how do you, how do you lead a team of people that you've kind of barely scraped together to be willing to do this and get them to take, not just, not just to do something, but to take ownership of it. And I think the only thing at the end of the day I found I could do was to be honest, uh, to be as honest and transparent as possible and make the first move. Um, if I want them to open up to me, I have to open up to them. Uh, and that's, that's about, that's about it. I, exactly. I couldn't force them. Like you said, I couldn't do anything of that nature. All I could do was kind of open it up. And then when they did, if they, the smallest step forward, just capitalize on it as much as possible. Like if they only put the, the slightest amount of effort into an event that we were planning, I would come behind them, do a lot of the legwork for that event, but make sure they felt they had ownership of it so that when it was a success, you, they're experiencing that success. They're experiencing that wow, I did this, you know? Yeah. And you're really capitalizing on the, the smallest um, crack in the door that they open for you. So then it is kind of making them the hero. You dig most of the legwork, but then right. at the end they were... Let them take it and run with it. Exactly. Yeah. I heard a guy say one time, like, speak their language too. Like, let's say I'm leading a team and I'm just like the adventure fun, let's experience the unknown and the uncomfortable and you're the guy on the team that just wants things to be more efficient and more well-run. And I'm saying, Why hey, man. Why point at me, Parker? <laughs> Either way, man. <laughs> and I'm saying, hey, th- let's do this. It's going to be fun and adventurous and scary and it's going to be great. And you're like, that doesn't sound appealing to me. But I'm speaking my language to you. If I came to you and said, hey, man, this is going to make our team more efficient and we're going to produce a better product in the end. I think that might be more motivating for you than my language and what's motivating for me. That's a really good word. You know, there's something else that is not quite that, but one of the things that Bill talked about was having someone in your life who is able to reflect back to you. And that's not quite the same thing as what you're talking about. You definitely need to know how to speak other people's language, but there's also something about having the ability to see something in people that they may not see in themselves and be able to tell them that as well. It, it's a different thing, but it's, it's also very important. And so I'm wondering how well we do that as leaders. Do we have people in our lives who can reflect back to us, especially the positive things? That's one of the things that Bill talked about. We A lot of people walk around with a lot of shame, and we, we tend to maybe get into our own heads and become our own worst enemies. And he said we need people that can reflect back to us the good things that are in our lives, but that we may not see. So how purposeful are you in surrounding yourself with people who can do that well? I think I'm pretty lucky to have those people in my life, but I'm not sure how well I do it in return to how well I say like, hey, I don't know if you noticed this, but like, I really appreciate this part of you and it's really impacted me. I just don't, I don't think about it. It's not something that pops in my head when I'm talking to someone in conversation Maybe because I'm not looking to hear it, so it doesn't pop into my mind to encourage them to say it in the same way. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a natural reaction. I don't think our society is built off of giving compliments either. And so for me to go to someone and say like, hey, you do this really well, I would have to be very mindful of it. I tend to assume whenever I look at a at a leader or someone who is 
incredibly skilled at, at something that I almost don't need to compliment them that obviously they should know, you know, if they're in that position, if they're, if they're on top, it seems like they're on top. seems like they have it all together. seems like they're going for it. That person really has a lot of self-confidence and you just, you kind of just fall into this. Well, obviously they don't need to be reassured. It wasn't until I, I actually became a leader myself that I realized how mm, yeah. incredibly lonely it can be, you know, when, when everyone around you is, is thinking that way. And then, like you said, you're, you're kind of in your head, your own, your own worst enemy. I think the best thing to do is just to have people that, that one know you and have known you for some time to give you that feedback, to be that mirror, because I, I tend to doubt the sincerity of compliments when people give them to me. Uh, but to have people that have, have known me, have known my failures and my successes to be able to look at me and say, Hey, I think you, you handle that very well means the world. As you were saying that, that is something that I can relate to significantly. I just assume if I see people doing stuff well, they know it already. Like, right. it's just going to be redundant if I say it. The truth is, it's probably not accurate. And even if it is, it's probably just as valuable for us to get in that habit as it is for them to hear it. So that's absolutely 100%. Well, let's go ahead and get to our key takeaways for the day. So if you were to, to highlight a number of things from this interview that you thought were really valuable, what would those things be? Sarah, how about you? I loved his thing at the end, and I think it came from Bill's friend who's a therapist. He said, you take your Expo marker, write it on your mirror, and write, who am I? And it has to be something positive. And if you can't figure out who you are and it's something positive, who am I becoming? And so I really like that because I think that we all need to give ourselves like a little bit of self-care, self-love. I know myself better than anyone. So sure. if I can give myself some positive reinforcement and see that in the mirror in the morning. I think that's the thing that is going to keep me going throughout the day. Parker? Yeah, I think for me it was don't cheat others out of the discovery and the experience. Like don't don't insulate that from them at all. And you can't take back time or decisions or whatever, but you can always say, now what? What's our next step? Daniel? I really have to piggyback on, on Sarah on this one. That self-care of establish your own identity to yourself like he was talking about. I didn't realize until very recently that you can't love others well until you take care of yourself. Hmm. And that doesn't, it sounds selfish. It sounds like, oh, I need to go indulge myself in some silly things. Treat yourself. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's kind of the culture. You see it on Facebook all the time. But but really, there are things, there are practical things that we need to be doing to take care of ourselves if we're ever going to be that role model for other people. One of the things that Bill shared that I thought was super helpful was the importance of coming to the point where you know that you don't know something. And don't be afraid when you get to that point to realize you've hit the edge of your map. Now it's time to really kick the growth into high gear. It's an opportunity and not a liability. The next thing is have people in your life who can reflect back to you the good in your own life that you may be overlooking. And finally, just very broadly, incorporate action and experience into the groups that you're leading. And if they're already active, find a new adventure to go on together. Well, Daniel, Parker, Sarah, thanks for joining the show this week. Thank you. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this week's interview with someone you think would benefit from it. Or three, give us a five-star rating 
and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.